Thank you, Noah and Kevin, worship team, for preparing our hearts uh, to continue to worship the Lord in word. I, um, I'm always blessed by the little baby sounds in the congregation. I appreciate that and just give praise to God for the new life that we have among us. It's music to my ears. The little, I, I just interpret them all as amens. So, all the goos and gods. We've been, we're in, as you know, we are in the book of Second Peter. And by the way, it's good to see everybody here this morning. I see some faces that I haven't seen for a while. And it's just great to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, you are a demonstration of God's work. Your desire to be here, your desire to fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, to sing praise in unison. It's just the evidence of the work of the Lord that we are standing in. So I thank you for that. So we are in the book of Second Peter, where this guy that you know of, you've learned of Peter, he's impulsive, he's a fisherman, he's kind of a hands-on guy, he's also a leader, um, and God loves him, and God loves Peter, and he has used Peter as an apostle, as a spokesperson to the church. And so we've been gleaning from this man, Peter, regarding what we should believe, how we should think, what kind of things we need to look out for as we pilgrim through this life and as we call ourselves disciples of Christ. And one of the things that the church in Peter's day was struggling with, among many things were false teachers. And these particular false teachers were teaching that there is no such thing as the coming of the Lord. There's not going to be another day. There's no people will give account. And therefore, it's okay for us just to enjoy the grace of God and live loosely. And we're going to look at just one verse today. And that's verse 10, where Peter begs to differ with this false conclusion false understanding of Scripture, false way to look at the world. And you will know that there are many today, even within the church, that have the same idea or thinking. And that is, there's, there's no judgment day. God is a God of love. He's not going to return in anger. You don't have to give an account. His love has covered everything. So Peter begs to differ. And that's why I want to look at just this one verse. I don't think we can hear enough about it. It is a very important doctrine. This is one of those doctrines that is living with the understanding that there is literally a day when Christ will return and set things straight. And if we are not right with him, we are on the receiving side of his judgment. Because this understanding drives the way we live it should influence the decisions we make or do not make. So this is rel- very relevant to us today. So let's just dive into verse 10. I'm going to uh, read it and we'll look at our first point. So here are Peter's words. Chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So we get a very, just in one verse, 
a very brief description of what this day will entail. So the first thing I see there is that Peter exclaims, uh, actually the day will come. It's an imperative. The day of the Lord will come. Despite what you think you see or don't see, despite what you conclude or fail to conclude, despite what you really would prefer to see happen or not happen, the day of the Lord is on the calendar. It is set according to the plan of God. It comes with or without our permission. And it comes whether or whether or not we are ready for it or even believe in it. So when it comes to this day, you get the idea in this passage and, and others, and I'll read a few others, that this day will, it will come quick, it will be swift, because the Scripture gives us the idea that the day of the Lord has been held off, it's been delayed, it's been suspended, but the sins of man and unrighteousness continue to grow, and so there's a, a dam, I guess, if you will, of God's grace and patience that we've read about. That's the only thing that's holding back the wrath of God. So as it continues to grow, the unrighteousness and the evil and, and the sins, to push and put pressure on this, when that dam breaks, the wrath of God comes. It will come loudly. It will come swiftly. It will be very, very destructive when it lets go. God, it's, and it's not a day where God just decides, you know what, I've had enough. I've had enough of this. Where he looks down from heaven and sees all the sinfulness. No, he's already had enough. He has hated sin and evil from the very beginning. His justice burns against it. His holiness abhors it. And so all of this time, ever since the very beginning in the garden, when man rebelled against God, rejected his kingship, said, no thanks to your laws, I'm going to live by my own ways. Thank you very much. God's wrath has been burning against every act and every thought of rebellion that robs him of his glory. So it's more of, a, of something that just continues to grow, but God's grace has been holding it back. There's this, this crazy tension that is in the air, that is in the universe. So when we think about God's wrath and the way He looks at sin, we, we just don't hear sin and righteousness from His perspective enough. We draw wrong conclusions. And, and we, we really, we dilute it. But I'm going to read a couple quotes from Jonathan Edwards. He was a Puritan. One of, he, he's reputed to be the best American theologian there ever was. A brilliant man. Died young, unfortunately, unfortunately uh, from a vaccine of all things. Probably shouldn't have said that at this time, but just popped into my head. So it, it was an inoculation uh, that went wrong. But we have, you've probably, if you're a Christian, you've heard of the name Jonathan Edwards. And he, wrote, he used to write his sermons out. This is what I do as well. I just write everything out and then I gather it together. But he would read his sermons. And it said, the sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, is said to be one of the greatest pieces of literature. Matter of fact, I studied it when I took literature in school. 
Jonathan Edwards, in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, says this. The bow of God's wrath is bent. And the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. I'm not even finished yet. He wrote, of course, he was also an instrument of the great revivals and the great awakening. Maybe you get a taste why. What are we that we should think to stand before him at whose rebuke the earth trembles and before whom the rocks are thrown down? There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. So you you see the tension of God's hatred towards evil and yet his grace, his willingness to, to hold back the wrath for a time, for a season. And I'll preach a sermon on that. By the way, there's 14. This is 12. So there's two more sermons out of Peter. But we do have a communion Sunday message of beautiful things. And then a Mother's Day message between that. But there's this tension here. He goes on to say, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful and venomous serpent is in ours. And some of us hate serpents more than others. So there's this idea that, yes, the hatred of, of evil and sin, it's still there. It's still very much alive and the dam will break the day will come when God does let loose but right now there's the the grace of God which is also to his great pleasure is holding it back or or delaying it and it's similar to the the second law of thermodynamics which says things move from a state of order to disorder so there's a sense in which the universe is falling apart. It's falling apart, and we would attribute that to the curse. Because when God spoke everything into creation, by the way, science also says the universe is still expanding. And so it's like the word of God went out to say, let there be, and there still is being, but the curse brought in the destruction, the falling apart, and we understand that. You get something new, it doesn't stay new. So... Things are before our very eyes, fortunately, for the most part, slowly falling apart. And that slowness, that slowing down of the effects of the curse is God's grace. And it makes it not just bearable to live here in a fallen, cursed world... But we still actually get to enjoy things because the wrath of God did not immediately pounce on our sin. And that's one of the things I want us to hear clearly this morning so that our hearts pour forth gratitude. We need to realize 
that God has stayed even the effects of some of our personal sins. They are not as destructive and debilitating as they deserve to be or could be simply because of God's grace towards us individually, as families, and as a church family. Years back, and I'm not recommending this movie, but there was a movie <clears throat> called the, um, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, or Buttons, Benjamin Button or Buttons, one of, one of those. And it was a movie about, uh, it was an entertaining movie, but it was about something that actually really takes place. This, this Benjamin Button guy had a disease today known as progeria syndrome. And it's a, it's a very sad um, and destructive and gruesome syndrome because what it does is it ages the body abnormally quickly. And so you miss out on what we would consider many of the, of the blessings and the joys of coming into this world and then rich, maturing as a toddler and a, a teenager and then a, an adult and so forth. The average lifespan uh, with this disease is 13 years old. You basically die of old age. So this is just kind of, I'm just using this as an example of, of how things can be held back so that we can enjoy life even in a broken world but there are remote cases where it's that's not the case and so you have an individual who actually matures too quickly um, and from dust to dust races basically to the grave and misses out on many seasons and you think about when a new life comes into the world we we just anticipate wonderful things you know, you, you anticipate, first of all, the day of birth and your first sight of a newborn. And then you, you look for that, maybe that first smile. Uh, maybe that first tooth. And then the first ability to crawl. And then that first step. These are monumental things that we enjoy in our lives as we watch people mature. And then maybe that first day at school. Corky's worst day of his life. First day at school. You drove to your first day of school, didn't you? So these first things. First pimple, maybe not. But baby, first day behind the wheel. Or not just your first job, but your first paycheck. Or if you got paid in cash. I remember getting cash for work. Wonderful feeling. First day of maybe your your first your, your hopefully your first and last marriage, your first grandchild, and then eventually maybe your very first day of retirement. There's there's all these seasons that we can enjoy in life with one another as a community and as a family, and it's only because God allows that. God holds. His, he restrains his righteous anger. And we think every generation probably makes comments like, I cannot believe how evil the world has become. Because it just, in our minds, it seems like it's more evil than it ever was. That's not the case in real life. 
by the way. It used to be more, our society is so much, even in our unrest, is more peaceful than the societies and civilizations that have become before us. Uh, way more brutal. But anyway, we think to ourselves, it, it just can't get any more evil. But if God did not restrain with his common grace, spread across the universe, if he did not restrain evil and the effects of evil, you cannot imagine how bad society would be. But thank you, Lord, for your common restraining grace. Can you imagine what it would what it would be like or feel like when all of the consequences and all of the built up wrath has its way on humanity? What would befall us? Because it's it's just in little sprinklings right now to make it bearable, but when it's no longer held back, but it comes in full force, not spread out, but concentrated. Descend in one day at one moment. It's fierce. It's terrible. It's destructive. It's terrifying. And God is gracious to even warn us and to reveal His character to us and reveal that there is such a thing as a day when that will come to pass. All of the evil. And yet, still He holds back. Still, he holds back. What are the things that provoke you the most? What are the evils? The heinous things that just, even, even your soul, and we're not anywhere near as righteous and holy as God, but even in our hearts, it just, it tears us up and, and we hate it. Yet, still, he holds back. I mean, just think about the times when little innocent babies or children are kidnapped, ripped out of the hands of their loving parents. Yet still, he holds back. Now, think about all the days that the the drug dealers push their drugs and, and people are just addicted. They live their lives addicted. And then some die because of overdose this happens happens all around yet still he holds back think about those that are abducted and sold into a life of sexual slavery and yet still he holds back think about all the, the pornography that just blankets the universe and objectifies women and and tells the wrong story, a false narrative of the beauty of sexuality and procreation. And yet still, he holds back. And we live in, a, in an age where the elderly or the disabled are euthanized, or, or their lives are ended because they're no longer useful to society. And yet, still, he holds back. Are you tired of all of the massacres and the mass shootings? Innocent lives taken, and yet still he holds back. Genocide, 
racism speckle the globe, and yet still he holds back. Families destroyed because of infidelity, children's lives affected because of infidelity, and yet still he holds back. God's children persecuted all over the world, sometimes to the point of death. Missionaries, and yet still he holds back. So yeah, we are in the days where God holds back. Peter is through the inspired word of God saying, but there is a day, the day of the Lord will come. And this this wrath that is swollen enormously, this pressure that pushes will break loose. There is a day. And if we believe God and we believe God has revealed himself to us, then this is for us to drink in. There is a day. And secondly, then he gives us a brief description of what it will look like. And this day, ironically, comes like a thief. It's not a very well publicized day other than what you read in Scripture and what you're hearing right now. To the world, it comes like a thief. How does Christian know, uh, Peter know this? Well, by now, this teaching that Christ gave and Paul gave, gave it's, it's Christian tradition by now. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 3, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and serenity. And then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Now, now we know this. and we, we read it happened in the flood in Genesis. People are still making worldly and earthly plans and schedules and so forth. And, and we need to do this. We need to schedule our meals and our education and our retirement. We need to schedule these things, but not with the ignorance or the rejection of preparing ourselves from the most important day of our lives. And that is when the Lord comes back. And we don't want to get caught up with thinking that this is more important what we're doing down here and lose light of this truth and start to feel safe and secure. Jesus taught the same thing and you'll remember perhaps in our study of Matthew in his gospel 24. Therefore stay awake beginning in verse 42. This is Jesus's Words to humanity, to the world, to his disciples. Stay awake. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming, but you know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So it is on the calendar of redemption. It's the, the day is there. It's inked in. And the warning is to not just the, the warning is that what's on God's calendar, what's on God's heart and mind needs to be on our hearts and minds so we don't lose sight of it or neglect it or forget it as we are prone 
to do or get distracted. There are plenty of things to distract us in this world. And it keeps coming up through Scripture. Just one more revelation. Behold, Revelation 16. I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. So you see, knowing about this makes a difference, right? Knowing it and believing it. Jesus is saying, you are about to be broken into. Destruction is coming into your life unless you are ready. So in real life, if you know the exact night, day, night, hour that somebody has threatened to break into your house, what are you going to do? Let's just say it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You will not be snoozing on your pillow with drool hanging out of your mouth. You will be ready. Now, this is Southside, Virginia. So you're probably locked and loaded. And at 3 o'clock, that red, that red dot is going to be wherever you hear the noise that the thief is coming through a window or door or whatever. You've already got your family safe so they can't be hurt. See, there's a difference, right? And some of you might have landmines set, who knows, depending on your character. But you're going to at least a slingshot, something to be ready to take this guy down because he means you harm. Not good. The interesting thing is, if you might know today... You intercepted a text or something in the night and the time that they're going to rob your house. You can be ready. But the Bible doesn't tell us when that day is, does it? We don't get that kind of preparedness. The idea is this. He's coming when you don't know. So don't wait for the day that you don't know about. Get ready today. That's the message of Scripture. So a good thief... Knows the element of, of surprise. That's how they get away with these things. Because people don't expect it or suspect it. That's one of the best things that they have going for them. So don't listen to false teachers that say you don't need to be prepared. That there will not be such a day. They're deceived by circumstances. No, be ready because you won't have time to get ready. Therefore, be ready now. And the way that you are ready now is by acknowledging Christ as the king of the universe, as a savior that God sent him to be. When we lived, uh, it's been years ago now, but my family lived right across the woods in a mobile home on this property for many years. And um, the kids were all in one room, packed into that trailer. They were in the back room. And when Josiah got old enough, when mobile homes are known, we, we had a little concern there. They're known for going up in flames quickly, Right. You see it on the news. There's not much warning if a mobile home catches on fire because of the way they're designed. Well, ours was close to the ground. The kids were in the back room. And so when Josiah got old enough, we said, look, son, here we put an aluminum baseball bat right by the window. Right? Aluminum baseball bat. We said, Josiah, if a fire breaks out in this trailer, grab the bat, break the window. It's okay. Don't do it if there's not a fire for fun. If there's a fire, break it as much as you need to break it and get your sisters 
make sure you get out of this trailer. If you smell smoke or there's a fire, it's okay. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine. This is your job. So there was a baseball bat there. We were ready just in case. You don't want to say somewhere in the house there's a baseball bat. You got to go around and find it so you can save your lives. Now, fortunately, we never had to use that. Then we moved into the house where we live right now. His room happened to be basically on that end of the house like three stories so he's at least 20 feet up in the air and we took the same baseball bat put it by the window and said look just break the window throw the mattress out of the window so you have something comfortable to land on you and your sisters just dive out the window i'm teasing totally teasing you guys think i was serious no we got one of those hook ladders Open the window if there's ever a fire. Don't try to come downstairs or anything. You get your sisters and get out of this house. There's a rope ladder. You hook it here on the wall and you climb down to safety. Fortunately, we never had to use that. But that's, the, that's what we have in mind. You, you don't know. And you know, even smoke detectors, while we're talking about fire, smoke detectors, sometimes they go off falsely. Other times people sleep right through them. Other times the noises or something, there's just there's there's ambiguity there. You don't want to you don't want to mess this up. This is a matter of life and death. Be ready. Have everything in place where it needs to be so that you shall be saved. And when it gets right down to it, this is your warning. Noah quoted, I think, the book of Hebrews. Today is the day of salvation. What's he saying? This may be the last warning. This is your warning. We don't know how many more warnings we will get. We don't know how many more days of preparation we will get. So when we hear God speak to us in this way, this is our warning. This may be our last warning. And there's, this is what we need to know. There is a day. It comes like a thief. And then lastly... The world as we know it will be destroyed. It's just not going to look like this anymore. Now, we don't have all the details we'd like to have about, well, what does it really look like, the new, the new creation? And how is this one going to go down? There's a lot of theories about how the world will end. But Scripture at least tells us enough to hang our hat on the heavens will pass away with a roar. So they're going to pass away, they're going to disappear, and it's going to be loud. It's going to be a loud noise, a, 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 wishing, a wishing sound, like that word roar means the, the sound that something moving through the air very quickly makes. Now you think the roar of a lion, because of the way their throats are designed, it just can go, I think can be heard for like at least a mile. And, it, and that it vibrates the air and you can hear it far away or you think about the whooshing sound maybe of a fire or uh, a jet that flies faster than the speed of sound and and you you hear the noise and you look up but it's already passed it's a it's a whooshing sound here and that's what's going to happen in the end something will happen so quickly that it'll be a a very loud roar in that sense some Scholars think perhaps it is the divine voice and thunder of God as he speaks. And in creation, it was a let there be. It was a, a peaceful, serene 
atmosphere where God is bringing everything beautiful into being. And it's good, and it's good, and it's good. But then when He pronounces judgment on it, it's a different voice that swishes through every molecule of the universe. It's it's a phenomenon. It's destructive. It's quick. It's noisy. Isaiah uh, 34 says, verse 4, pictures it like the sky being rolled up like a scroll. <laughs> like it's all this wonderful, vast universe. It's over. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12 you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end. So they will pass away with a roar. Second detail he gives us, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Heavenly bodies or the elements. NIV says the elements there. So what are the building elements of the universe? Scientists will say the basic building blocks of the universe, uh, earth, wind, fire, and water. All of what we know to be gone. Uh, If you have gray hair, a little bit of gray in your hair, perhaps you will remember there was actually a group, a band, very popular band, earth, wind, and fire. And it always intrigued. They were often um, introduced. They were kind of new agey. And they were introduced as the elements of the universe kind of band. And it always intrigued me when I got older. Like, what happened to the fourth element? Water. What, that you can't trust their lyrics. You know what I'm saying? But they had good music there. So the idea is that the physical things... They were spoken into existence and in some sense in God's sovereignty they will be spoken out of existence. What does that mean? Well, it can mean two things. and We we go back and forth on it. It Is everything that we see, is it really going to be absolutely annihilated and destroyed in that way? Or is it going to be destroyed in the other way that Scripture defines and that is kind of like, yeah, burned under intense heat but for the purpose of purification. Uh, scripture kind of gives us both ideas. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know exactly where to land. I think actually I would land on this. They're both true. There are things that are going to be annihilated, and but it's in the sense of there are things that will exist, that exist now that will continue to exist. So it is a, a, a purifying kind of wrath there. And then lastly... The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And this is why I think that a lot of times it's more of a purifying heat than just a total annihilation. The literal translation of things that are done will be exposed on this day. NIV says laid bare. And I think the King James Version says they will be found on this day. Exposed, laid bare, they shall be, the works on the earth shall be found. So the idea is that there are things on this day that will not be destroyed. They'll actually be exposed for what they really are. The works of man. It's a judgment day. And the things that God created, the the godliness, the sanctifying work that He's done in our hearts, that He began on the first day of our salvation, 
that work just continues and actually comes to fruition. So eternity, you might think, well, you could look at it like this. We're stuck with each other. If you're a believer, we are stuck with each other forever. However, we're stuck with the godly version of each other forever. Now, we don't quite know what that looks like, but it'll be good. It'll be better than what you see. Way, way more pleasurable. So found, this word found has judicial overtones to it. And when it says they'll be exposed, lay bared, or found, it has to do with standing before the judge, has to do with your right standing or your not right, so your wrong standing with God. That's what's going to be exposed. The things that we have done for His glory, the things that we have done for our own glory. Like Peter said in, in his first book, 1-7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be, there's that word, found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God's going to find things in our hearts. And there are thoughts, things that glorify Him and things that invoke His wrath. So you put all that together and He's talking about divine judgment. All the things, right and wrong, will be man made manifest in the giant courtroom where we stand before the God of the universe. It's a dire warning. And Peter doesn't say this here, but we know elsewhere in Scripture that the things that are just hay and stubble that we, 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 we spend time on building, that we endeavor to accomplish, they're, they're hay and stubble, they're, they're fleshly or manly accomplishments and desires, it's gonna burn. They're, they're gone, they're burned. Everything we build in this world that is not for the glory of God ends and burns, does not stand on its own. If it's not God improved, how do you get God approved? Not by your own works. You get God approved by wrapping yourself in the righteousness of Christ. That's the only way. That's the message of salvation. The only way to escape this day or to be on the right side of it is to know that you are in Christ, which means you're Christ's friend. And the way you become Christ's friend is you acknowledge Him as the one and only God and King that He is and that He saved you because you're a sinner and you need to be saved from those sins. You have violated His laws. You have transgressed His boundaries. And He graciously welcomes us in to the table of fellowship when we confess our sins to Him and acknowledge Him as the King that He is. So the things that are not holy, that's what will go. The things that are of God will remain. So as we think about this and close, we take away for sure that when this day comes, we won't have time to get ready. We already have to be ready. Jesus tells us that. He gives us a, a picture story to be able to understand it. So the obvious application is to be ready. 
The obvious application is that if we are not ready for this day, not knowing when it comes, to get ready, to prepare ourselves to be saved. To decide that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day I'll stop living for myself and living for the king who is worthy. The king that has all this time, without me perhaps even knowing it, been holding back his wrath so that I can even enjoy life in this sinful broken world how many more warnings will I get how many more warnings will you get how many we don't know this might be the last one how gracious of God God is patient wishing none to perish great evangelism tool If you believe in the day of the Lord, let me just tell you, you believe in judgment. Everybody believes in justice and judgment. We can't get enough, hear enough about justice these days or say injustice, right? It's all around us in every area. We all want it to end. We want rightness to come forth and to shine. And so we say to someone, I want what you want and God will bring it. And there's only one thing, Scripture says there is a day coming and there's only one main thing that's keeping it back, the grace of God. Well, why would he not bring justice? Why didn't it not come yesterday? Because he wants you to be saved. He has in his mind how many will join him forever. And he wants you to be one of them. And so still he waits with all of the evil that's going on around in our world, and many of us would just assume He'd come even so quickly, we sang. Come. But He has not. Because there are those of you who have not yet bowed the knee. And He is waiting for you. May God bless the preaching of His Word.